Everybody and welcome to number uh, Sonic Talk number 347. God, how time flies when you're having fun. Um, I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. And also want to say welcome back to our sponsor, Isotope, uh, who are with us for the foreseeable future. Uh, we'll just be plugging one of their products this week, apart from saying how fabulous it is to have them on board again. Uh, but there will be more uh, information forthcoming, I imagine, possibly some sort of competition and giveaway, as is their want. So uh, stay tuned for that. We want to say thank you to them for joining us. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to go back. We've mixed up the guests a little bit this week, and we're going to start with, let's let's start in the coldest part of the world, with Mr Rich Hilton, who we sadly missed last week because uh, he was sick after NAM. Did you get Namthrax or was it something else? I think you might be... Muted. Yes, yes there you are. And here he comes. <laughs> um, uh, I always do that for the intro and then forget. Um, <laughs> I have uh, post-NAM thorax. I came home healthy. It was uh, shortly thereafter that things went south a bit. But uh, I'm on the way back now. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, the one thing that uh, I will say is, as a NAM first-timer, it seems only fitting that perhaps uh, <laughs> you got that. So I, we didn't get the chance to ask you about that, and maybe I will do afterwards. I'll introduce everybody else, and then we'll come back to you and just see what your impressions were, because as a NAM virgin, which seems hard to believe, a man of your experience, uh, we, uh, we would like to see what you thought. Uh, anyway, we'll come back to, uh, let's see, ah, we haven't had him for a while. Let's go to him. Him being the cat's mother, Dave Spears, in a nest of modular world and a rather fetching pair of Italian-styled glasses there. You're looking very kind of... Do you want to see something yeah. really cool on these? Are they Google Glass? Ready? Yep. Oh, oh I've just joined Orbital. <laughs> <laughs> are they real glasses or are they special synth fiddling glasses? They are reading glasses. Three quid from Primark. But everyone I know is buying them to uh, muck about with synths. Wow. That In is the dark. Top to tip. The Brothers. Yeah. Excellent. So you turn in the lights. It sounds like it's, it's like, I don't know if anybody, this is a very UK gag uh, or uh, anecdote. Um, in the UK, we had something called Gus Honeybun, who was like a kind of children's continuity announcer between programmes in the old days of television. Uh, instead of the trade test card transmission, they had Gus Honeybun and they would, uh, as a special treat, they'd ring, read out sort of birthday wishes and what have you. And um, for a very special birthday, they turned the lights off. So I think, Dave, I'm going to have to get you some kind of Gus Honeybun um, T-shirt or something. Uh, I can't see anything new in your room. What's going on there? You seem to be slacking. Uh, no, no, I'm banned, aren't I? Oh, yeah, I'm banned, but I, I have got something nice sounding. Oh, right, cool. Do you want to hear a nice sound? Oh, well, I'd love to. Oh, that's a sort of dribbly Picasso-style polyphonic uh, portamento kind of thing, as far as I can tell. Sort of. <laughs> hmm, <laughs> OK, then. Well, anyway, let's uh, carry on with our introductions. Uh, we now also have, uh, over there in uh, the Somerset Levels, uh, I think I can see your snorkel and flippers in the uh, background there. There's uh, Robbie Bronnerman from Robot Studios. Robbie, of course, uh, composer, film um, producer, not film producer, music producer, studio owner, modular nut. Look, look at all those lights flashing. How are you, Robbie? Are you, uh, are you dry or moist? I'm just 
dry air, but I've got wellies at the ready. Hopefully that's all I'll need. So, yeah, it's uh, all right where we are, actually. Uh, so, I'm, I'm glad you're quite close to the motorway as well, so it's easier to... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Run for the hills. Run for the hills, yeah. Because uh, if you don't know, um, England, uh, or certainly the southwest of England, is uh, we're experiencing like, the most ridiculous, um, the most rain we've had for two centuries, which if you understand the relationship of Britain and the rain, you'll understand that's quite a, a major achievement, really, uh, the most rain for two year, uh, for two centuries. And uh, there are all sorts of terrible things, you know, flooding and what have you. Uh, sadly, the government don't seem to think it's in a state of emergency that all of the train lines that head west are actually out of order, washed away. Uh, but now there's a, a slight rise in the Thames. They're starting to think that perhaps there is a national emergency. But anyway, that's my political uh, soapboxing done for, the, for today. We'll now go to uh, Gaz Williams, professional bass player and uh, music technologist who's um, back on the desktop or the laptop there. Uh, it's actually still the iPad, but it's on my desktop because, uh, to be honest, I was suffering severe uh, chat room withdrawal symptoms. So uh, <laughs> I'm back in the chat room as well, which is uh, it's great. I really, it feels weird not having the chat room. There we go. The there show. are it's, the chat room. Uh, the chat room fellas yeah. are just zooming past. Oh, Lagrange Audio. Uh, yes, want to say thank you uh, to our chat room. We do, we do appreciate all of your oh, uh, input. Uh, well, guess how how are you? How's how, very stormy this morning? Even more rain. I'm sorry, I'm going on about the weather. Yeah, I uh, well, I've been banging on to you, Nick, about this new case that I've just got for a bass guitar called. It's by uh, Mono, and Mono make uh, fantastic cases. They make all sorts of things like laptop cases and different instrument cases. And um, I'm going to sort of uh, maybe do a review of one of these cases. And just as a as a part of this review, as I had to go to a um, a session, a bass session that was in Bristol, so uh, I went on my bike in the absolute horrific storm it was awful um but i took it, i took it in this case and um when i got there the it was bone dry inside it, it really passed that test i mean i wasn't i was soaked through but uh the uh the guitar was um was bone dry so so those mono cases very impressed very good oh glad to hear it glad to hear it anyway um well here we all are i was going to come back to you rich because rich obviously uh didn't make it to mesa so we'll just have a quick uh, aside there if you don't mind i'd just like to get your impressions because we bumped into you and i'm very glad to say uh, we managed to meet up for a bit of a drink and uh, you got to meet john van eaton who's a regular in the chat room i'm not sure if he's there today but i uh, just wanted to I, that was a fun evening i tell you what i felt oh it's great i'm glad i left when i did is all i can say which was much later than i usually do ah Oh, you mean in terms of staying over and enjoying California a bit? Or no, that no, night? I mean that night. You know, stopped oh, while, before it got really bad. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't get really bad, but I had a great time. And I ended up seeing Van Eaton the next day as well, actually. Oh, cool. I ended up with a bunch of hours to kill, and he happened to be in the neighborhood. So we ended up uh, populating a couple of bar stools for a while. It was cool. Oh, excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Um, uh, but so in terms of Nam, what was the what was your overriding impression then? I remember you seeing and you said it was big, but there must have been. Oh, other. yeah, I, it's my first time. I, I, I knew it would be, but I didn't think I, I don't think I realized quite how big um, I had a blast because, first of all, secure in the knowledge that gear is gear and anything I needed to see was going to be covered on your website. I embark on it entirely as a social occasion and uh, really enjoy the aspect of meeting people and seeing people I sort of know online but have never met or running into guys I haven't seen for 35 years uh -huh. or all this stuff. And uh, 
that's really the heart of it to me is the people aspect. And the gear is fun, and there's some cool gear. And most of it I'm not patient enough to stand around online waiting to play like that Moog synthesizer that I wanted to try. Um, on the other hand, other people are offering me gear. And here, take one of these and tell me if you like it and send it back when you don't. Nice. Um, so uh, not too many of those. but uh, And... Uh, Interestingly, one of those was a piece uh, that was covered on last week's show, the Electron Keyboard, where uh, I became online friends with the guy at Electron, and he really wants me to try the thing. And I, as you mentioned on the podcast, had expressed my concerns to him and to you about the size of that window through which I have to peer at that construction site behind it. And uh, he insisted that I should try one. (laughs) And based on your and Mark in particular... Talking about it last week on the podcast, I've decided to let him send this thing to me, ah. and I will try. Well, uh, Gaz, uh, no, sorry, Gaz, Mark Tinley is currently uh, working on uh, getting to know the Analog 4 for us, and he's going to hopefully come up either next week or in the not-too-distant future and give us his uh, views and a, and a kind of review of that. That's that's the keyboard we're talking about, right? Yeah. That well, little the- keyboard they've got with a tiny little window on it and uh, soft knobs, analog synth. Yeah, that's the one. But also, uh, there's that rhythm, which is or rhythm, which is the drum machine analog hybrid. Yeah, no, I the keyboard piece. Yeah, I'm talking about the keyboard. That's right. So, um, yeah. Well, Mark has. uh, I spoke to him today, and he was saying, uh, you know, really does like it. Uh, I'm very impressed with it. uh, So, yeah. But it does take a little bit of uh, time to actually get to know, for sure. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'll check it out. I'll I'll give him a shot. Okay. Well. Enjoyed the show. To sum up, uh, and great, seeing you and hanging out that night was fantastic. And I am incredibly grateful to you for helping to arrange for my uh, admission to the show. And uh, I was proudly wearing my Sonic State badge the whole time I was there. Excellent. Well, this is, in <laughs> fact, if the people at NAM are watching, um, part of the reason that I got you in was uh, to, to give your opinion of the show on the podcast. So, you know, feel free to interject at any time with any NAM, NAM memorabilia that, that throws it. I'm sure they'll be watching every minute and, like, with a clipboard checking out, make sure that you can come next year. I don't think, though. But I oh, think nice. they were very happy to have you. And also, actually, Rich, because you, you played... Um, you did. I watched the Grammys when I because I left Anaheim on the uh, on the Sunday night. And I ended up in a bar in Santa Monica watching the Grammys, which was kind of fun. And you weren't at them, but you played afterwards with Sheik. But we saw the Nile Rogers bit. Um, did, were you in the building, or did you were you not? Were there no tickets for for you guys? No, I was nowhere near the joint, Your Honor. <laughs> I never laid a hand on her. How did the party go? Uh it drizzled oh, in yeah, Los Angeles geez. during a drought. In last, we, how do you get it to rain in Los Angeles during a drought? Put Sheik outside with no roof on the stage. <laughs> oh, man. How was that? Did anything, uh, anything dreadful happen, or was it okay? No, no, no. It was, it was a very light drizzle, but the fact is I'm standing outside at night in Los Angeles, and it's raining? Yeah, after, <laughs> in the, as you say, in the middle of a heat wave. Well, actually, um, apparently, when, as soon as I left... Um, Santa Monica. The next day, the uh, fog came in, and that was it. <laughs> so I got the well, best. Now California is getting pummeled with rain right now. Yeah, well, th- you and me and them both. Anyway, let's move on to our first topic because I just saw this and I just I thought this is how to make a, an ad for basically a piece of software. Introducing Dope Matrix, the first virtual modular synth for Ableton Live. I like the way that they even bothered, made it the voice out of sync and everything. Beautifully stylized. Inspired by a Yorak modular system. 
Dope Matrix brings a modular experience into a digital world. Vast, new dimensions of sound. I'm not going to play all of that. Sonic Faction, a great uh, promo video there. I'm pretty sure that's the voice of Fran, uh, VJ Franz K doing the voiceover. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He does a load of app, um, uh, iOS overviews. He's got an amazing voice, and I would love, dearly, dearly love to do something to work on. We had an idea where we could get him involved, but uh, sadly it didn't, uh, it didn't come, come to fruition in the end. But um, great fun. But what, what's actually interesting about this as well is the notion of creating virtual modular, you know, sort of almost like boutique software. I know, Dave, you're a, you're a developer and a, a fond of video. <laughs> would you care to comment? <laughs> It was really good, really good, very impressed. I wasn't sure about that kind of weird fox head thing. It's a bit gold frat, it. wasn't it? It reminded me, you know, there's, I can't remember that guy's name. We looked at his videos on old synths years ago. He does those kind of demos, but you never see his face. They're very kind of 80s. Oh, um, um, the, VHS Polish, the Polish guy. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I thought at one point I thought I bet that's what that guy looks like in the flesh. Uh -oh. Maybe he's done a kind of maybe this isn't a joke video. It's really serious. So yeah, who knows? Uh, no, good, good idea, good price, sounds good. I've never heard of a Honda piston oscillator before. Have you not? Piston, piston ah. Honda. Yeah, it's uh, it's a um, it's the Harvestman um, Scott Yeager. It's the orange uh, stuff. He makes also, um, in fact, uh, the Harvestman guys have just finished making the final set of modules so that you can actually put in modular form most or all of the elements of a Polyvox, which is a really bizarre Russian synthesizer. So, uh, yeah, and the Piston Honda is like a digital wavetable oscillator, actually. Oh, cool. I've got Very one cool. in my rack. You've got one, Robbie. I've uh, got one. The new one, the Mark II, it's just come out. Has it had yeah. a rebore? Piston Honda it, just reminds me of those old days when you used to kind of like mod your scooter or mod your kind of moped back in the day. Yeah, when you tried around. to find one second-hand on eBay. I think you'd have problems because you'd probably come up with loads of motorbike stuff or something. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's um, it's great. It's fantastic. It's got a really dirty sound to it. And, um, yeah, I'm loving it. It's probably my favourite module at the moment. So. So, so it's interesting, actually, because the uh, Dope Matrix uh, is a series of kind of uh, devices that work within one large device. It's got uh, push support, and you can you can hook it up to various uh, um, uh, control surfaces as well. But um, they're actually samples of various oscillators. Uh, in fact, I think I've got the. I, I hope I've got the information here. Yeah, it's got uh, four famous analog synthesizers. If I go here, I can probably show it. It's the Schwemann. Uh, A1110, which is a dope which I think is the whole thing about dope matrix, uh, Plan B, and the Piston Honda, uh, which is an interesting idea. Uh, it's not quite the same level of sort of patching things around as you do get on a modular modular, but uh, I don't know if there's anybody who's got any patience for that sort of thing. Uh, I know Gaz, because we talked about um, the uh, modular system on the iPad, and I found it rather sort of frustrating just purely because it wasn't hardware. So uh, could you see yourself uh, patching this up? 40 bucks for a live set of live things? Uh, it, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff there. Do you have to have um, Max for Live in order to... Um, it, yes, you do. You need to have Ableton Live 9.1 and Max mm. for Live 6.1.5. Uh, that's only if you want to use the step sequencer, though. Uh, okay. Um, well, I mean, it's a hell of a lot of stuff in it, isn't it? Um, so... Uh, are they built in Max for Live then? I'm sorry, I didn't really see it. Uh, I, th I think it must be, to be perfectly honest. Uh, 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 or certainly there must be a lot of Max for Live stuff going on in there. But I think mostly mm -hmm. it's just a, a great big um, 
you know, rack, <laughs> basically, <laughs> of stuff that you can then push together. But th there are some videos, uh, interesting videos, where they're using push, and you can sort of solo and instantiate things. So you're getting that. I mean, it's very not a modular experience, but I suppose um, it's certainly cheaper than buying a modular mm. rack and those various oscillators, right? But it's, the bags of stuff in it, isn't it? I mean, really, bags of stuff. Um, I'm just looking through it now. Uh, There's uh, a great screenshot, actually, if I can find it here. Um, I bought it, Nick. Oh, did you? Ah! Robbie. No, I mean, I've got it up at the moment. Ah, yeah. he said. I, lucky I can only see you from the waist up. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Maybe a good thing. But oh, I don't know. What, a what a terrible joke that was. I do apologise. Um, so, have you had any time to mess around with it? I mean, how modular is it, and how, uh, it, or is it more of a library kind of vibe? Well, some people might call me greedy, having got some of the hardware to have the software as well. But um, no, I just thought it'd be interesting because I thought it'd be nice to have um, out and about with my laptop when I'm out on tour, just to mess around with. And um, I mean, the sounds it comes with incredibly complex. I mean, they've really done a lot of work with it. And um, it's great fun just just playing around with the stuff, you know, for an hour or so this morning with the macros on the push. So yeah, I, I think it's well worth it. So uh, a lot of that, it, it's got. Uh, it, I mean, because it's got so much stuff going on there. I mean, how do the macros work? Is it only on the the modules that are in focus? Because obviously that screenshot looks like it's been sort of made, uh, but that's not actually what it looks like because no, you don't see. Correct. You don't see all that stuff at once. No. Right. Uh, you have. Right. You can expand them. Yeah. You can't do it like that. I'm not that I've found anyway, but uh, yeah. Who was that? Which which one was that one? Was that you, Rich? That's me. That's me playing. I bought this thing yesterday. Oh right, cool. So, um, how much? It's max? forty. It's only forty bucks. Yeah. And yeah. what sort of level of sound? I mean, I guess the thing is that's interesting with stuff like this is it's sort of it's exploding the kind of concept of, of, of a modular vibe, but, you know, into software. I just wonder how well that translates. I mean, as with many of these things, you know, you get a load of stuff and you just sort of flip through patches. But, I, I mean, from what I can see of the demos, you can actually construct things on the fly and root things and add effects modules and what have you. I mean, have you had any chance to look at any of that or is it mostly... Um, in my own case, I've just had time to just basically play presets and look around a little bit. But um, I watched their tutorial videos, and it was quite extensive what it will do and the way you can interact with it. I don't have a push, so I'm basically running it on a trackpad on my uh, laptop at the moment. But like Robbie, I kind of look forward to having time to sit around on the road and, and be able to play with it. Yeah, interesting. I guess the thing is with this is it's almost um, the idea of this, uh, it's almost like a DIY modular synth or, or sort of software synth approach, which is quite an interesting concept. I mean, we've seen it with, uh, what's that, th Dave, you know, the uh, what's the what's the kit, is it synth kit on PC where people can, there's all those sort of generic oh, plugins. Yeah. I mean, do you think this is like a kind of, are we heading for an area where people might be able to build stuff that has extra character or can they only really you know, affect the samples and come up with interesting macros? Uh, th this one's quite interesting. Are these actual modelled oscillators? No, I think or... they're samples. They're sampled, aren't they? So, yeah. Uh, I like the idea of it being, a, you know, kind of bespoke item for live, and I think that's quite an interesting thing because at the minute, you know, everybody's got access to pretty much every kind of palette, whereas actually, if you make something specific to a platform or a host... 
then the chances are there are going to be people who go, actually, that's my host, and I'm going to focus on trying to get the most out of that. I quite like that attitude. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, but yes, as we say, 40 bucks. I mean, I wonder how you'd, have to, how you'd have to sell to kind of make back the thing. The only thing that I, again, and I've spoken about this before, Ableton Live does, you know, gives you the opportunity to create all these amazing things, but you cannot skin them or make them look in any way other, anything other than generic. And I think that's perhaps one thing that's missing. I don't know if that's something they're ever likely to be able to fix just due to the nature of it. But I mean, I'm sure, you know, you know that's, that's, that's part of the appeal of it then, Nick, I think. Yeah. Really. Oh, right, okay. I think it's got such a crisp and clear UI. Um, I, I think I pr- personally, I think I prefer it that way, really. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. That's me told. Uh, <laughs> I, I just think when you're browsing with a lot of devices, it's easier yeah. to catch the eye because you can see something. All oh, right, I know what that is rather than where is it? It's in plugins. It's in, you know, manufacturer. It's in, you know, my, my It's just easier to get around. I don't know. Uh, Robbie, you, you kind of work. Well, as somebody who bought custom faceplates for all my modular modules so they all matched each other i'm very much (laughs) i'm very much one for the uniform look so so i I totally endorse that custom did you really wow that's interesting there's a company called ah got a grayscale and they make these uniform really nice simple aluminium face plates for all the stuff like make noise and all piston you know all the all those companies who do kind of wacky ones like 4ms and it just means that they all kind of look the same and you don't have those modulars with like handwritten scroll, you know, print on them and stuff, which I can't really be doing with. Uh, all right. So, okay. And have you, have you kept the faceplates and sort of framed them and put them in the loo or something like that? I've kept them all very carefully back in the original boxes in case I ever sell the modules. <laughs> <laughs> glad to hear it well if you want to get it uh, sonicfaction.com uh, 40 bucks you need like I say you need live 9.1 and you need max for live 2 so um, yeah that's I suppose that's the only disadvantage but interesting idea anyway um, I think probably it's time we will get our sponsor in because I can't believe it's nearly half past already I guess I was running a little bit late so I think I'm going to uh, give them their moment if that's alright so I'll press this button and hopefully the ad will play there it goes so, uh, Isotope, as you know, sponsoring the show, and they released um, Beat Tweaker. So, I mean, you can make beats like you've never heard before. Uh, built on futuristic micro-edit engine, but Beat Tweaker turns everything you know about rhythm on its head. We can do these uh, uh, isomorphic rhythms, designed and developed by Isotope with BT. It's not just a drum machine, it's a drum sculpting and beat sequencing environment that blurs the line between rhythm and melody. Uh, manipulate audio at a molecular level. You can free yourself from traditional drum grids. You can sort of create multiple tempos type uh, patterns at the same time craft the perfect drum sound take control of your beats easily trigger and sequence complex patterns and sequences using eddy midi controller uh, i'm pretty sure you can get it now i haven't been supplied with a link but as i say i think we should be uh, getting some sort of competition going in the next week or so uh, but uh, i want to say thank you very much to isotope uh, isotope.com break tweaker there you go if you go there as with all their stuff you should get a 10-day download so i want to say thanks very much to isotope for having faith in um, in the podcast and sticking with us. So thanks again. Right, our next topic is... Uh, oh, yeah, 30 years. I can't find that really hard to believe. Here we go. I thought I'd play this. This is... Uh, th- those of you who remember, that is the Steinberg Pro 24 playing an MT32 multi-tibral sound module. Both of these circa around about 1985, uh, 86... 
this is by a guy called um, a rather um, unfortunately named Snotmail, um, which is an interesting handle for YouTube. He posted this in 2008. But really, it's all down to the reason I'm actually uh, playing this is because we've got 30 years of Steinberg, I, I, which I found almost inconceivable that we're talking about a software company that has a, that has been going for 30 years. And I, I mean, I think I started probably back in... Uh, with I had Pro 24, I had absolutely no idea to you how to use it. But uh, it started in '84 with Pro 16 on the Commodore, and then uh, they they bumped the tracks up to Pro 24, which is really the first one or one of the first things that was on Atari. And then I've got another video here, which did, that I don't know, Dave. You might I don't know if you used to use Cubase on the Atari, but check this out. This is just I'm looking at this, and it's just taking me back to all those <laughs> hours and hours and hours I spent in front of. Cubase uh, on Atari, and it was, it, you know, there was another video I found which had the um, uh, cracked, uh, um, owned by Mike Hunter, uh, which is what I always <laughs> used to use, just purely because the dongle kept failing. You know, I owned it, but it was actually better um, as a cracked version. So, yeah, if those of you who don't, this is how it used to be, but interspersed with feeding floppy disks in and out of... Um, of these, but you see lots of familiarities. You know, pioneered pretty much uh, this kind of key edit feature. I mean, there were other sequences available, but you know, certainly in Europe and with the Atari ST, this was the path that many of us took through to where we are now. But 30 years, it's kind of astonishing, really. Uh, perhaps before we go into full Cubase nostalgia mode, uh, Rich, I mean, what was the stuff that you first, you know, sequencing that you were first exposed to? Was it Cubase or was it uh, another flavor? I I think you're muted again, Rich. And still? Sorry. Yes, okay. there we go. Um, uh, software specifically? Yeah. Because that was not my first sequencing experience to I tape at all. Ah, I suppose it but, would have been hardware then. Well, obviously, yes. as an alternative. The multi-mode sequencer clocked from a Dr. Click was my first sequencing environment, and I had to fool the multi-mode sequencer into thinking it was in real time while... Mechanically playing the chords with my right hand and counting clock pulses at 96 per quarter note in with my left one from <laughs> the Dr. Click. Nice work. And if you made a mistake in measure 16, you could start over. Nice. And because there were only six slots in the thing, songs had to typically be broken up into two or three pieces of data that connected at measure whatever, 64 and 112 or whatever, you know, wherever they had to connect. But uh, it was uh, working to FSK tone. And I was pushing big rocks uphill every night to get these tracks recorded. And uh, they are the tracks that ultimately got me the job that I've had for 26 years. Wow. So at which point, but you were kind of into uh, sort of um, Synclavier and stuff at that point, weren't you? They didn't, perhaps you no, 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 no. No, I didn't get into Synclavier until I met Nile Rodgers and I grossly exaggerated my prior experience on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I read all the magazines with one in, yes. Excellent. Uh, I had been near them, and I actually met John Appleton in a hi-fi store in Burlington, Massachusetts in 1980, and we talked about it all day long. But I hadn't actually used one when I told them I had. And then I went scrambling to get lessons so that when I showed up, I knew what I was doing. Wow. <laughs> I, I apologize in advance. This is definitely going to be a reminiscing kind of episode because this year seems to be, you know, I mean, we're, we're hitting these kind of 25, 30-year maturities for a lot of this software. I mean, Pro Tools is 24, 25. We've started with sound tools back back in the day. I know, Dave, were you a Cubase guy? Did you Do you recognize those screenshots? Did you glaze over and start um, start thinking about smoking yeah. something else? Uh, yeah. Playing some no, jazz um, funk, maybe? 
It was really interesting. I there was a period where I couldn't actually afford Cubase, and a friend of mine worked at the UK distributor, and he got me a copy of Cubasis. You remember that? Which was kind of a really cut down, might have been Cubasis light even. Yeah. But I loved, I mean, really, that was the first kind of linear software sequence. I mean, I'd used MC500s on the road before that. And I then fell in love with the C-Lab stuff, primarily because you could loop, you could have those different length loops. And that seemed to kind of really appeal to me. What, but, was, I mean, that? what was C-Lab's called? It was Notator, was it? Yeah, Notator and Creator was the kind of... And that, that must have been uh, so was that the kind of precursor to logic is that where logic came out? yeah yeah absolutely yeah c lab became uh blimey what was it e-magic yeah e-magic, E-Magic became wow. Apple. so so effectively i mean that must be that must be a similar amount of time there must be about 30 years or getting on for it for e-magic as well right yeah yeah absolutely i mean what's interesting is my very first software sequences was this thing i think it was either called sonus or ProSonus or PreSonus, I don't know, whatever it is. It's not the PreSonus we know now. It was actually started by, it was a guy called Tim Ryan, who later became the whole uh, Avid head, the head of Avid. And uh, that was quite an interesting conversation I had with him about the development of that. Wow. But I mean, that was, in order to preserve really strict quantizing, you had to turn the screen off on the Atari. Because uh, the refresh uh, No, no, no. It was a Commodore 64. That's right. Yeah. So the, the refresh <laughs> rate just didn't interfere with it. So you would literally kind of go, okay, I've sequenced everything up now. I've done my 16 or 24 tracks. And now I turn the display off and hit go. And now, and, and then I find out whether or not it was any good because this is the only time it's ever going to be in time when I play. Yeah, 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 of course. But there was something really fascinating about, you know, like now we just stare at monitors all day long, but there was something really fascinating There's about a sort of mechanical composing process. this piece and then turning off the monitor. You know, Gaz has talked in the past about this. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but I mean, honestly, Steinberg, if it weren't for Steinberg as a company, I wouldn't be here doing this. Well, VSTs, VSTs as well, thing. yeah. Just changed everything. And also, years and years ago, when Chris and I were doing the Fat Boy thing, I'd ori- we'd originally designed that around GS and XG sound cards because I was doing a lot of stuff on the sound canvas for Roland and stuff. And I was tired of that wallpapering through a letterbox. So I wanted a box with knobs on that controlled all these things. And actually, Steinberg Direct Services were our, were a distributor for the other software stuff that I was making. And when we had this prototype box of knobs, I took it to Manfred Rurup, who actually turned around and said, I'll tell you what, we'll take a hundred of these, but you must put a third mode on it that is just a CC mode because we're about to start distributing this really amazing software called Rebirth. And he showed me uh, what it was and we just came, Chris and I came away going, wow. And actually, if he hadn't have suggested that, I think... The Fat Boy would have lasted about two weeks in the commercial marketplace. So, yeah, big thanks, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that... Um, I, I mean, I still find it kind of astonishing that it's been such a long time and there's been so much of it. Uh, Robbie, where did you start? Were you Have you always been um, E-Magic, or did you start? No, I started... My first sequencer was, I think, when I was about 15, I was given some money by my grandparents, and I went to ABC Music and bought an Atari with Pro 12, which I think was like... The, the, the cut down version of Pro 24. Like more, like less chaps, less tracks should yeah, be somehow yeah. cheaper. I think, <laughs> I think it was free, in fact. I think it came, you could get it, you got that free. And then I kind of progressed to Pro 24 and then Cubase as well. So, yeah, 
that was my kind of first kind of inroads to computer oh, God, yeah I, I i remember i went up to um i can't remember the name of the shop the shop it was um I, f- I forgot, but I remember d- driving all the way up and buying, you know, an Atari and uh, the manual. And I got home and I started to try and use it. And I rang up after about a day or two, saying, "This doesn't work. It's, you know, it's just impossible to use. There must be something wrong with it. How does it work?" And it was just that hard to learn. <laughs> they obviously thought I was a bit of an idiot, but I mean, and I probably was being. But I mean, it was so. There was no um, point of reference for any of this stuff, so you just had to kind of figure it out for yourself. And the manual, you know, it came in a even back then came in a binder and was kind of this thick. When it became Cubase, it became this thick because there was so much to it. But the, it, the thing that hybrid between pattern and linear, it was more Pro 16 was more pattern based, wasn't it? And it was, but it's a very it's a very um, eccentric way of working, I think. Um, Gaz, I guess. Mm. Did, did MIDI sequencing kind of work? Because you, you're more of a record, you know, a, a kind of a, a person who plays and records real instruments. So did you kind of come through that route or is there something? Some no, other I, I've mentioned before, I think, on the show that uh, I started uh, back in mid 80s with um, the Music 500 and then the Music 5000 system, uh, I, which was attached to a BBC microcomputer. It looked like a like a, a an external hard drive, a featureless block, really. Um, and it had a DIN plug for your sort of audio inputs and out, uh, audio outputs on there. And that was an eight-voice uh, eight FM synthesizer. And um, the, uh, Vince Clark fame was, one, was the, oh, probably yeah. the most famous user of it. And when I first started, that was just uh, with it. And that, that was using the thing called the Music 500 iteration, uh, and that was actually literally writing in um, code, mode seven code, no no graphical user interface at all, just literally code. And uh, and and I really like that. It's it's actually quite a powerful way of working. It's very pure then, electronic music composition sort of style, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, uh, but I was. But then when I got hold of the Music Five Thousand, uh, that had a graphical uh, that had a GUI on it. Um, uh, it was a lot. It, it was a huge. It was a huge step forward. Um, but it was more working a little bit. It was a little bit more like a tracker kind of workflow um, with it flowing from top down. So that's what a sequencer, a computer sequencer, was for me. So I remember the first time I saw Cubase in uh, in action. Well, actually, no. I think it was Pro Twenty Four that I first used. But but certainly, I, I became familiar with Cubase. Uh, very early on, maybe 1989, maybe, or 1990, perhaps. Um, and it was a revolution. It was. A, well, it was. It was I mean, the thing revolution. about it, the thing about it was that it was the first time that data had gone like this across a screen That's in right. track format. That's right. it's, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's easy to forget. Before, everything was pattern-based and quite cryptic to understand. And certainly, C-Lab was an absolute... That's one of the reasons I, I just didn't understand uh, it in the, any way. The, 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 the tracker stuff was all about the, um, you know, the vertical movement of the sequence, you know, so for it to actually play in on a horizontal plane, you know, that was, uh, but it made absolute sense. You just saw it, it made complete sense. And, um, and that, that has formed the standard way of sequencing now, hasn't it really? I mean, pretty much there is, you know, Ableton Live's session view being a, a notable, um, Although, say, well, yeah, well, you, can, yeah, yeah. you can sequence to a degree in that session view. But, but you know, so Cubase was very much first off the mark, really, with that 
way of working and i thought it was absolutely brilliant and it was very uh i seem to remember it as being pretty reliable as well uh i don't remember we were using um atari st um uh and it yeah it was great i mean uh we used to have a quite a complicated um midi setup uh and of course you just were limited to just your 16 midi channels so well yeah they did make that hardware um i remember i bought because there was a there was a midi port that you plugged into one of the serial ports on it which gave you uh i think it was an smp24 which i had which was a simty reader and multiple ports so i had one of those but then there was also something called a midex which was like a big plastic boomerang looking thing that you plugged in that had cartridge slots and all sorts of other stuff that you could plug into it but the the thing was is this the I, what was the name of the port? It wasn't the serial port on the Atari, wasn't it? It was some kind of, it looked like a massive kind of printer port. It was like a Centronics port or something, and it was just so flaky that mm. you know it, it was almost impossible to rely on. So the SMP twenty four, I think, was the best way of doing. But they also made let's not forget they also made I don't know if you remember this a moving fader or a VCA fa- uh, automation system which you could plug in. I remember at Crescent Studios, uh, which was uh, in Bath, they, they had a, a small console there before, post-SSL. It was uh, when there was a, a second room and they had a Cubase, I think it was 16 or 24 channels of VCA automation as well. So there's loads of stuff they made that is sort of almost probably forgotten in the ether. I don't know how much of this stuff made it into the States, Rich. I mean, because when you, you were talking about the way that you sequenced but you know, was it Max that when they first came in that that became the kind of MIDI sequencer of choice, or were, did the Ataris kind of make it over there so much? The Ataris made it over here, but they weren't as popular. Logic was more of a European phenomenon, and Cubase maybe reached across a little bit more. But early on, my first software sequencer was uh, Performer by Mark of the Unicorn. Right. There were, and uh, the first one I recall is Emil Tobenfeld, who <laughs> called himself. Uh, I think Mr. T or Dr. T. Ah, uh, yeah, and, bars and pipes. Uh, and he had written a sequencer for the Commodore 64 somewhere around 1983 or 4, I think 4. Um, and that was the first software sequencer I was aware of. So initially over here, American products, I think, took hold, at least around me anyway. And then I started in 86 and 7 to see... Uh, Atari computers showing up with Cubase and with Logic, and uh, Notator, actually, and not Logic. Um, so that's kind of how the progression went. And also there was a spate of hardware synthesizer uh, sequencers that Roland and Yamaha and Korg were trying to uh, perpetrate yeah, on the that's market. that's true. And so that's you true. had those as well, and people, a lot of people were sequencing in hardware back then. Um, well, I wonder, so I, wonder now, I, sorry, I wonder now whether or not, you know, because we... we that there's this sort of affinity for sort of retro everything else, whether there's going to be, can you imagine a cycle of going back to, because I was looking at the uh, Atari emulations when I was looking for, and somebody was running Cubase on, uh, um, <laughs> that's a great comment, Rich. Dr. T, obviously I pity, pity the fool. <laughs> Brilliant. Do, excellent Dr. Mr. T reference there. Um, but, you know, well, you yeah, think- especially if you've never spoken to Emil, to- Emil Tobenfeld, who is like the opposite of Mr. T. <laughs> You know, he's a software guy. He's, you know, from the early 80s, you know, who came out of mainframes and shit. So he's, uh, pardon me. So uh, he's like, so not Mr. T. It's, it was hilarious to me. I used to always say, do you think there's any kind of nostalgia for going, you know, we've talked about the creative limitations of things. Do you think there's any kind of way that we'll 
we would consider going back to this stuff because you hear of artists huh. that still work with kind no. of what have you. I mean, I don't know. No, no. no. <laughs> yeah, you can't make me. No, the, uh, my uh, my creative partner Frank Norton, um, who I was working with Cubase way back in the early nineties, he has recreated a software. Oh, this guy's just gone. Oh. Oh, no. We've lost Gaz. Oh, that was getting so interesting. I don't know where he went He's there. come back, back to the 80s. Oh, yeah. we lost his connection. Oh, look, there he is. He's just vanished. Oh, that's a shame. Um, I know, because we talked to you, Robbie, about, you know, even just changing versions of the sequencer that you currently use is kind of, you know, traumatic enough. <laughs> well, I've just, I've got new, I, I spent... Last week, I, I started getting a project in that's been started in Logiquette, so I couldn't, I had no way of going back to work in nine. So I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to bite the bullet and finally work in Logiquette. So um, I got it all up and running and I spent a couple of days and I literally, I had to go to the doctor and I got eye strain. And the doctor said, oh, you just got to not do it so much, you know, be in front of the computer. And it's all to do with the look of it. So I went on this pilgrimage of trying to work out how to customize the GUI of Logic X and went to all these forums and found out how, how you could write all this stuff in Xcode. So I've spent the last week totally customizing Logic X to be much more like Logic 9 with lighter backgrounds and changing the color palettes and all that stuff. And now I'm very happy. So I think it's really important the way it all looks as to how you can work with it. Well, particularly you know, if you spend so much time in front of it, that's really yeah. so. That's hardcore. Yeah. So you've basically been recoding and and changing yeah. the, the making, making, making tiffs and everything, recoloring tiffs and all this sort of thing to try and you know change elements within the interface. And it's great now. I'm really happy. That I'm is... really. It's, it's a great program, and I'm really happy with the way it looks. And I'm not getting a headache every ten minutes. So that yeah. is awesome. Now that's hardcore. Gaz, we lost you. You're back now. You were sort of mid um, mid anecdote. <laughs> you froze. Like oh, Max sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, no, but um, Frank has recreated like a 1990-1991 studio setup with an Atari as the in the hub, and but he's kind of got all the things that he dreamt about when he when he was first using that stuff back then. So he's got you know, um, what's the Atari that looks almost like a the TT? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's or what the, it Mega, is, the, TT. the Atari Mega ST, oh, which was a, like the, yeah. the Atari well, Mega ST. Uh, and, and like he's been buying this stuff for next to nothing. I mean, no one wants it. And um, and it, it's funny, but I mean, you know, looking at the screen, what is it? A twelve-inch screen? That really small little screen? You forget just how tiny are you, you know, and how small and fiddly it all is. But um, but I think in a way, uh, my friend Frank, his best work really was back on this stuff back in the day and uh, so i think he's trying to sort of recreate that workflow that he used to use he's the only person i know who could possibly do that but um that's that's taking things quite far actually but i mean it, it's a perfectly valid way of thinking you know people as as you know we are all aware um, working with various different artists and you know amongst our own insecurities changing certain things or the, the fear of changing certain things can often you know leave you like what you feel creatively exposed because you've lot you don't do all the things in the way you normally do other people relish it i remember back in the day when i was doing that sort of stuff the thought of having to go and work in a studio where i didn't know where everything was or how half of it worked was just terrifying and not not something i was particularly uh, thrilled at the concept of but uh yeah interesting uh, thir- timing as well timing has always been a thing hasn't it yeah everybody 
talked for years and years about how uh, the, the timing on the Atari was absolutely spot on compared to Max. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that so much because I we have talked about this before. Where you, you know the track at the top of the screen would be would arrive sooner than the one at the bottom. So you'd always put your bass drum and your you know hat either at the top. I forget which way round it was, and it, I don't know whether there's any truth in that. But it felt it it, it sort of. See, I'm sure I proved to myself that it was true, but I can't remember how I did it. <laughs> but but yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. It's funny, so, Gaz, saying about the Atari thing. I've, if you get an email from me off of my iPhone, it does say, instead of sent by iPhone, it says sent via Atari Stacy. I do, yes. I do re- recall that. That was the sort of, that was like the Atari's version of the laptop. Rich, you want to tell yeah, me that? Yeah. Well, in that process whereby we were printing things from the memory mode sequencer via FSK, it became quickly apparent that uh, pretty much every instrument's MIDI implementation varied from slow to worse. And so... Um, I quickly learned that the first pass goes through a digital delay at 100 milliseconds. And that way I can tune the FSK tone presentation to the device based on its particular delay time. Ah, okay. That's very, yeah. That, order- that's why you got those gigs. <laughs> that's why you've done so well. <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> but yeah. And there, there was no way to know. I mean, I just I started printing things and they felt out of the pocket. And the only way to be able to create pocket was to have a window around which you could work so that you could go earlier or later or how much earlier you needed to go. I mean, something like Emulator 2, if I remember correctly, was like 60 milliseconds behind or something ridiculous like that, and, you know, couldn't have it. Wow. So you had to create an environment in which you could compensate 60 milliseconds as needed. How did they ever make records back in those days with that technology? Who knows? Um, Right, well, let's move on to... What do you mean they? Well, (laughs) (laughs) how did one... Well, I wasn't making really? records so much at that point. I, I, I did see something quite funny the other day. I saw an old, um, on YouTube, an old Danny Gatton video. He's a, a guitarist, uh, sadly dead now. Um, he was a great guitarist. And it's like a, he did a tutorial video. And at the beginning of the video, he says, now let's get in tune. So he, he, and he says, a good way to get in tune is to lift up your phone and the dial-in tone is in F. So you tune to the dial-in tone of F, then... From F, work out A, and then get your, and then tune back down to E once you, but you know, you'd use the, the dialing wow. tone as the. That's convoluted. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sorry, that I just is... remembered about that. Uh, great story. Um, okay, so uh, other uh, notable um, uh, um, celebrations, obviously, Novation, 21 years. Uh, in fact, uh, we discovered while we were in NAM that we are 20 years old this year. Um, which is really mind-blowing, actually. So uh, I, we haven't got anything planned, but, um, yeah. Oh, actually, I also wanted to say, David Richmond, thank you very much for sending us those uh, chocolate-covered fruits to our hotel room for, uh, with a note saying thanks for the coverage. It was only afterwards that I thought, how the hell did you know where we were? But it's the thought that counts. Um, uh, right, what's next? Um, well, of course, we have uh, the big news, which wasn't really news, um, but is, is going to be sort of news. Let's take a look. That's right, it's the retro uh, analogue 
Roland-esque kind of series from Roland, which are going to be announced, or the embargo is finished at uh, 8 o'clock Friday morning, I'm told. There's going to be uh, a public unveiling at Dance Fair in uh, Utrecht in uh, Holland. And very fortunately, um, Champ in the chat room is uh, going to make it there. He's going to be going there, and hopefully he's going to grab some footage for us. So we'll get to see... Um, some of the stuff we haven't already seen, I have to sort of say that I do know what uh, three of these are. I'm, there's no secret really what they are, but I've actually got one here and I've just finished the review of it, So, uh, but I can't say any more than that. But I think you can see there, there's a uh, TR-8, which is the drum machine. Uh, up there, the keyboard, which is I think is called um, System 1. Uh, VT-3, that's the TB-3. So there are four things that are coming from ARA. And this is like, I mean, Roland are not noted for their fabulous teaser campaigns and creating such a massive storm about uh, their products. But this time they've actually managed it. In fact, you can see there, that flashing light over there is one of the units. That's as far as I can go because I've signed an NDA and I'll get my ass sued. Uh, but... This is the first time that I can think for ages that Roland created a, a, a proper buzz about their stuff. You know, whether it's analog or digital or whatever, we know it's not analog. It's called uh, analog circuit behavior. So it's a modeling kind of technology of some description. But my thinking really was, you know, what A, it's, it's great. It's about time um, that there was some excitement about some Roland products. And maybe some of the larger manufacturers will start to kind of think about, you know, generating this kind of thing for themselves rather than, you know, the bread and butter stuff, which they have to make, which is kind of gigging keyboards and stuff that, you know, people who play uh, um, gigs where they need a variety of sounds and what have you. But it doesn't get the rest of us excited. It doesn't gen generate very good PR. Um, I'm going to come to you, Dave, first, because you are um, sitting there in a room full of analogue. You have an 808. You've got, a you know, you've got drum machines. I know I've spoken to you privately a little bit, so you have to be careful not to um, let any information out whatsoever. But, I mean, what do you hope for from this what would you like to say i mean because it's been a while since roland have been you know right there right i'm so tempted to say i don't know anything about this <laughs> <laughs> god what a load of noise if there's anything i would like it's for the, all the noise just to stop like maybe they should just call the next product shh <laughs> like that it's been amazing hasn't it with everybody just jumping in so we now know it's not analog so that's going to upset half of the universe. And then the other half, I think that you're... I, I'm not a great one for acronyms. We did a kind of complete Mickey take on acronyms years ago uh, where we used such disciplines for our modelling as PPH, which was known as Pro Poke Probe here, and RCB, which was Rewrite Crap Bits. <laughs> and so I'm not a kind of uh, a massive fan <laughs> on acronyms. But I think the most valid thing that I've heard about this is when you said it is not aimed at us. All of people our age, and this seems to be a kind of continuing thing. I'm working with somebody or just had a discussion with somebody who wants loads of young people in the studio uh, because they don't come with the same baggage that people like us have in our generation because we're always comparing things to oh it sounds like so and so you know from like let's say the 80s or something like that whereas actually a young person would kind of go who and, and in a way those kind of comments sort of stifle what it is mm. and what it's likely to become so actually when you said uh it's not it's not marketed to us 
all of these people who you know grew up with 808s and 909s and 78s and 303s and stuff like that this is for a whole different generation and that's what their marketing their teaser campaign implied the past is the past so let's take what we're about to do and move forward and i think for that i kind of applaud them it's a brave move. I mean, there's one that's only really been able to happen since um, the, the sort of top end management had changed and they've been able to kind of make some implementations and changes. But I mean, the thing is, is it, you know, like you say, it's, it's completely split. You've got 50 percent of people going, how could they possibly do this? It's got to be analog, man. And nothing else will do to the I don't care as long as it's good. You know, I don't know. Um, Robbie, you got any drum machines? Fancy well, another one? I've got the Tempest. I mean, I, I don't. I kind of initially thought, oh, it's a bit of a shame it's not analog because you thought that they were kind of going to launch their kind of onslaught against Korg because of what they're doing. But, you know, actually, like Dave says, if it's if it's something new and exciting and it really genuinely has got some new possibilities for, you know, thinking in a totally different way and creating totally different things, that's what I'm interested in. Mm. You know, so I don't really care if it's analog. I'm just interested in exciting products that make me want to do things in a different way. So... You know, I'm I'm quite excited by that kind of prospect, really. Well, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I think, um, I, well, I, I can't really say anything else. I'm not sure that that uh, philosophy will hold water if it's that's purely what they are trying to do with this stuff. But I'm not going to say any more because it's um, it, it, they'll have to wait till Friday. I know, Rich. I mean, uh, do you have any great fondness? I mean, I know you you don't kind of particularly feel that uh, antique technology has any sort of spiritual. Uh, necessity you know so uh, does it matter i mean whether it's analog or digital in this instance you're muted (laughs) that's analog (laughs) i do that a lot um i'm not sure what instance you're referring to well quite honestly i think i've lost the plot i think uh, yeah i'm not sure if i've got the plot either because i'm having to be so careful about what i say but i mean does this interest you i suppose is is a good place to start the era, the, the era or era, I'm not exactly. Oh, the Roland, the Ro- that new Roland stuff. Yeah. It looks like it's all completely directed towards beat makers. Yeah, I think so, that's a fact. Uh, to the extent that I don't consider myself in the act in the active process of making music a quote beat maker unquote, I think it's really not directed towards me. But it looks like a very interesting product, and I'll bet you it's all going to be cool. And what is is this the Oberheim system? Thirty five years later. Yeah, I don't know about Are that. Are people going to start making Pointer Sister records now? I don't know. Uh, you know, like, uh, it, it feels like the Oberheim system. You remember that? The DMX, the DSX, and the oh, right. uh, OB-8? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, It feels kind of like, you know, 35, 40 years later, we've got the, the Oberheim strummer. system again. The strummer and the drummer and the, uh, what, was the what was that other thing? I forget. Oh, yeah. Well, that was so much later. Fun. That yeah. was much. The original Oberheim system was three devices, a sequencer, a drum machine, and a, synthesizer, a polyphonic synthesizer. And uh, that's like what the Pointer Sisters album was done on. There were a bunch of them. But the point being, conceptually, it makes a lot of sense because now you live in a beatmaker culture where guys want self-contained systems that seem to do all kinds of exciting things. And that's why products like Machine are so popular because they provide that kind of software interactive environment that allows you to feel like this beatmaking process is deep into the DAW. Uh-huh world and uh as a product it sort of makes sense to me whether they'll be successful with it or not i have no idea because i really don't know what it is no shrouded in mystery well one thing they do well is shrouded in mystery they have done that very well Uh, i think uh, one thing i can say because i know the chat remark there is no d-beam and there is no supernatural chipset 
that's but that's so you know that's something I will say, and I don't think I can uh, I can be arrested for that necessarily. Um, can I say one thing? Yeah. One thing I'd like to say is, if if you were going to have a synthesizer setup in the world of Tron, that would be that synthesizer setup. So I'm all for that aspect of it. Well, you with the lights. Yeah, the lights. I'm very impressed with the light aspect. Of they are. If oh, anyone, you, your lights. <laughs> Yeah, well, there, there, there is an aspect to that. It does look good. Um, mm. I, I can't, like I say, I can't say an awful lot more. But um, Friday morning, uh, well, we know what they are and we know when they're going to be available. And we also know that there's going to be some stuff happening uh, on Saturday. Like I say, hopefully we'll get some more footage in of the, the stuff that hasn't been out there yet. Um, but yes, we shall see about that. Uh, I, I want to say um, hello to Discord in the chat room. Um, I think that's... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the Discord who runs the Discord uh, iOS blog. I hope so, but I want to say hello to you there. Um, is it Tim Webb? Yep, Tim yeah. Webb. All right, well, if it is, hello. Um, <laughs> uh, Gaz, any of this yeah. sort of stuff going to excite you? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I, I love that black and green kind of colour scheme they've been running. It's, uh, I think that's a really fresh... I think that looks really cool. But... Um, what I, what, what I was interested in was, uh, for me, the standout product that I'm most excited about from NAM is the uh, Electron Rhythm, uh, which, as we know, has got analog yeah. drums. Yeah, analogs and there. samples, good mix. And samples. Brilliant. Amazing. I mean, that is such an exciting thing. But, but and uh, Robbie will be the testament to this, the Electron way of working is far from intuitive. You really have to kind of use them a lot and to get into its own particular yeah. peculiarities. So in a direct comparison, I'd be quite interested to see what they, they would be like side by side, you know, and whether the Roland one has this really neat workflow. Um, so less about it being analog, but more about it having you know, lots of visual stimulus, very nice workflow. And, 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 you know, people who are going on and on about the analog side of things, if they were to try and work with the rhythm, or, I say rhythm, yeah. is it, or rhythm? No, um, rhythm. It's, you, you, you've rhythm. got to say it like you're Swedish. Rhythm. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> uh, and the, 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 the ARA uh, TR-08, and just to see, you know what wins out is it analog sound quality or is it workflow so you know well, well I, I, I must I, admit i think it's got to be workflow because i mean if you look at what's been happening at the, this now and i don't know if uh, rich got a chance to check but i felt that you know that we didn't have any great leaps forward in terms of technology but it was very much concentrating on how things were done workflow and and also a, a great lack of software innovation as well it was about hardware workflow i mean there were obviously software but were there uh, but it was a much lower level and profile than perhaps um it has been previously um, so I think the workflow is actually pretty important. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Rich, in terms of uh, of it, whether that's the trend. Because everybody's aspiring with this stuff to be professional. And when you are professional, workflow is kind of everything. So it's the, it makes sense that that would be a point of focus, right, rather than it looks pretty. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And I actually think that's been the case at trade shows since the emergence of popularity of Ableton because it modified other people's GUIs like Logic to become more of a one-window workflow, and you've got bitheads now, which is attracting a lot of attention. And uh, Corey was eloquent on the subject last week here on the podcast about how exciting their software is. Bitwig. So, uh, right, okay. 
and then you've and you've had PreSonus with uh, Studio One, and there's been a, a sort of a, a bit of a renaissance in the emergence of these creative tools. So I agree 100% workflow more than technology and sounds. That said, it's amazing to me to also watch the proliferation of the modular synthesizer market, and I'm actually beginning to get interested in it. Mm, what is it that's what is it that's 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 piquing your interest? Because you've got a history of being involved in synthesizers from a you know right from from an early age and from an early point in your career. What is it about it that's now beginning making it more interesting? Well, it, it's hard for me to confess in public that I'm actually romantic about this stuff, but uh, I this just it's something very cool about the fact that small companies in America and in other places in the world as well are uh, cobbling together interesting kinds of modules and thinking, kind of picking up aesthetically with synthesizer modular design where guys like Surge left off in the late 70s and where it all got kind of just like left by the side of the road for a couple of decades. And now people have picked it up and started these small companies and now you see guys like Pittsburgh marketing these little self-contained modular rigs that have like a really nice complement of little stuff, kind of like what Bob Moog was doing with the Moog 15, except you've got a wider variety of cool modules now and you can populate it with different stuff because of Eurorack tech, uh, standards and such. And I just think it's all very cool that people are interested in this because, like I said, there was a, a period of decades where nobody cared, or very few of us did. Let's, mm. I shouldn't say nobody, but in the grand scheme of popular culture, very few people cared. It's a cycle. I, I guess there's going to be a point where, you know, whatever the trend in music, where it ends up, will. Maybe we're going to get another, Rene, maybe we'll end up in Poodle Rock Renaissance and it'll all be kind of drum machines. In fact, uh, bizarrely, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the standardization of it is also helpful as well, I suppose. You know, the technology enables uh, us to make things like. I went to see, um, and if you're uh, watching on Facebook, I, I went to see uh, my sister in law bought this is completely off piece, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's quite a funny story, or at least I think it is. Uh, my sister in law bought me and my partner tickets to go and see a queen happening you know it was, a, it was like a, a we thought it was like a musical so it would be you know uh, the queen story I, I have no idea why i've never expressed an interest in or, or need to 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 want to go and see that neither of us are particularly queen fans but so we thought, oh, will we go anyway and we went along and it was literally it was a big theater in bristol with a tribute band on but they weren't really a tribute band in the way that they went for the whole kind of look and feel they were just playing queen music and it was a really sort of unusual, it was a really odd kind of environment because there was no, uh, you know, the singer didn't sound like Freddie, didn't look like, nobody looked like anybody in the band. They were, you know, they, the, the backing vocals were amazing, actually. But the drummer was playing uh, a big Roland kit and um, he uh, he just had the most ghastly sound the whole time without any kind of variation. But using the technology, obviously much easier for them to be able to set up and do that gig and get the hell out of there. Um, I'm not sure where I was going with this, apart from the fact that I did put a false moustache on and uh, I was thinking about storming the stage because I actually looked more like Freddie Mercury with a moustache on than the guy who was singing, but I guess that's not really uh, very fair on him. But he was, you know, he, he hit the notes. But um, so, I'm not sure where I was I going to make with that. One, Nick, can I just complete one last point about yeah, that, what I was saying about the resurgence of this stuff, is that what's inter another interesting thing to me culturally and musically with respect to this kind of gear is how EDM to me, bears as much relationship to Tangerine Dream as it does to the music that followed the sampling revolution of the 80s. Mm. And that texturally, we've gone back to something that wasn't even that popular back then, but I always thought was really cool. Oh, that's by a, yeah. using these kinds of devices to create those kinds of music. 
I suppose so, yeah. And also the, the, the thought of having a, a module and making it front and centre. I don't know, Gar um, not Gareth, sorry, Robbie, you're, you're using modular stuff. Do you yeah. find that you're using it as signature sounds, front and centre stuff, or is it more in the background? You know, is it giving you, what what role does it play in your productions? Well, well first and foremost, I, I've got a modular that I didn't want it to be like a, a an, an analogue synth. I didn't want to create another analogue synth that I could just patch up because I've got loads of analogue synths. So, Everything I've got in my rack is hopefully kind of interesting things like wavetable oscillators and, you know, audio damage processors and all that kind of thing. So I really treat it like, you know, I want to get something totally kind of visceral and, and raw and different than I can get from going to my Profit 8 or something like that. So, you know, that's how I approach it. I, and, I, and I like feeding stuff through it as well. I've got an interface that allows me to get audio in and out of it. So um you know from the rest of my computer setup so that's kind of how i treat it and that's what excited me about euro rack stuff it wasn't having another another, another synth. it was more of an integration yeah. interesting yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean it's interesting because you dave you know you've got a system you know it, it's not a dissimilar world to what benj has you know in his situation I mean, obviously much smaller but you know in terms of like the big modular format stuff the kind of the sound of the synthesizer.com is very mogi and the stuff that Benj does with John Fox is very much like that oscillator, that filter, front and centre, right in your face, you know, that sound. I mean, where do you use your, your synthesizers? Do you tend to use them signature or, you know, what's, what's the kind of way that you find it? Just for display. <laughs> no, I don't know how to use one. No, uh, I, I thought it was really interesting, actually, in that I Dream of Wires where they made the kind of, the two camps, there's the Euro rack, which, you know, Robbie eloquently put why he was interested in it. And I think that that is completely valid. And then the large uh, format guys, and I love that bit where the guy said, oh, the large format is for people who are stuck in the 70s. And there was this moment where I kind of went, hang on a minute, I drive a car from 1973. Uh, the most modern piece of kit in this room is actually the, the recent Mellotron. Everything else is pretty much from the 70s. So it just kind of made me laugh. As for what I use it for, it's very, very useful for us when we want to mock up ideas. So that's one side of it. Uh, again, as, but equally, the Andromeda is also a really detailed synth, and that allows us to mock up ideas. Uh, but in terms musically, I don't know, it can be anything. You know, if I love the sequence stuff of it, and I love the... Like Rich was saying, that you know, going back to that Tangerine Dream, the whole Berlin school of th music, I love that kind of syncopated, beautiful sequence rhythms. Uh, but equally, I can take every single waveform output and distort it to hell and then run it through parallel filters and get all sorts of chaos going on. So it's just a horses for courses thing, really. What's really funny is, of course, people walk in this room who don't know anything about music and they really seriously believe that it's a telephone exchange from the 60s. <laughs> yes, I collect. Uh, I suppose that, yeah, easily done. Gaz, I, I remember, um, did you not recently um, launch yourself into analogue? Did you get a microbrute? Yeah, I got a microbrute. Uh, um, welcome to the club. And, and has it, <laughs> is it a gateway, to, uh, a gateway to, to more modular drugs? To be honest, I'm just thinking about Electron all the time at the moment. That's the really? thing. Uh, so the Rhythm, but the Analog 4, and I like the idea of the Analog 4 has got an extra sequencing track that you can use with the CV 
output so that could link up nicely with the micro brute so i can see that you know being my are you, are you, are you trying to head for an all swedish uh, um kind of uh, engine to your 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 electronic music studio so you're going to be going with the obviously the uh, op1 and then the uh, all the electron stuff yeah actually i hadn't thought about it that way but um yeah the electron stuff i think to be honest the 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 the, the you know, I've read the manuals of the Electron stuff now, so I've got a pretty good idea of of the of how to use them, albeit sort of just theoretically. Uh, but just that stuff, I just think I don't really like old. I don't think I'm that interested personally. I love old stuff for sure, but for, to get old stuff, I'm not. I'm not really interested in myself. So I'm. I really want to. Uh, I do love se- hardware sequencing. I've always loved right, that. Right. Okay. So, so that's the, that's the thing that's more interesting. So the ele- an electron to me look like they're the kind of the leaders in the world in that now. In my in my opinion. So that's that's what's. Uh, that's I, won- I wonder if they'll ever even consider just releasing a sequencer. <laughs> There's a thought that doesn't actually do anything apart from sequence. Just sequence MIDI and CV. That would be interesting. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if they'd ever do that, but. Uh, I'll uh, I'll take a plaque if you do, and you <laughs> took this as an inspiration. Anyway, I think that's pretty much it for now. I've um, got to start wrapping things up here. Um, stay tuned uh, for the Roland Ira stuff. Um, we're going to have um, some exclusive on that uh, Friday morning, 8 o'clock, uh, if, uh, if not perhaps a bit later. I don't get up that early. Or oh, I'm doing the school run at that point. but um, And perhaps some more over the weekend. And once again, I want to thank Isotope for their sponsorship of the show. Check out Beat Tweaker. There's, uh, as with all their things, you can download, I believe, a 10-day demo. I, I should check that first. But we'll have more from them in a little while. But in the meantime, we'll say goodbye to our participants. It's been great to have you aboard. Thank you very much. Nice to see you again, Dave. And uh, um, uh, now I, I keep thinking I'm going to see you in your glasses. But uh, we'll have a get a link to that. So can you get your own lenses put into them? Yeah, yeah, they do like plus twos, plus plus one, plus twos, and plus threes. And then you can turn them on. Actually, the battery's going flat in one of these, so (laughs) it looks even funnier after a while. Oncoming head truck traffic. Anyway, good top tip there, Dave. Um, oh, thanks for joining us. G4 Software, of course, makers of fine instruments. In fact, uh, you've got a special offer on, I believe. I saw I got a press release or saw something about 50% off um, Oddity if you're a previous owner or something like that. Yeah, plug it. Yeah, no, well, it's kind of weird, actually. Instead of this, I don't know what it is, you know, like companies are going, ah, oh, great deals for new users. It's a bit like in renewing your car insurance. If you're stuck with the same company for years, you never get any kind of loyalty discount. It's all just to entice new users. So a little while ago, we had this idea of like, well, hang on a minute, let's kind of try and reward the people who've been good to us. Nice, so, I like yeah. that sentiment. Yeah, no, it's actually it seems to have worked out pretty well. But we don't advertise it. We haven't advertised it, but anybody can apply for it. So basically, okay. if you go on an order oddity, it's 50% off. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Uh, G4software.com, there you go. And um, also say uh, thanks to Mr. Rich Hilton over there in uh, icy, wintry Connecticut. Um, I'll trade your ice for our mud any day. But, uh, well, actually, because I haven't got a fly anywhere yeah, for a while, so it's fine. <laughs> no, it's cool. I like winter, actually. I don't usually complain about it, and I'm not really complaining about it, but damn, it's cold out there these days. Uh, well, I hope you stay warm. I'm glad to hear you're on the mend. I can still hear there's a bit of cold in your voice, but, uh, yeah, I hope you're fully recovered um, by next time we speak to you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. I enjoyed it, as always. 
And of course, Robbie Bronnerman over there um, in his robot studios. You got something something on? You got a, a lot of work in the new year yeah. now. Yeah, and just like to say, next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're back on the Sushi Friday trail. So uh, it's a project I'm doing with another producer using just all the hardware in the studio, no no virtual instruments. So um, Sushi Friday music on Facebook if you want to follow the blogs. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. I'll, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. And thank you very much for joining us. And, of course, uh, Gaz Williams over there in Bristol, where it seems to be uh, the lighting is changing rapidly in your, your um, space. The weather out there at the moment is horrific. It's probably coming our way. I, I can see some trees out there at my studio window, and I've never seen them move in the way they're moving right now. It's uh, it's quite <laughs> frightening, actually. Yes, well, I've heard there's going to be Force 12 gales at some point oh. of the, uh, uh, the British Isles, so uh, batten down the hatches it, and all of those whoa. kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe get terrible. out of the roof. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Gaz, for joining us, gazwilliams.me. And as I say, thanks to uh, our sponsors. And all of you guys in the chat room, I'm very pleased to see you all. You've got, uh, um, yeah, seems to be a, a, a large crew in there this year, this week. So thank you very much. And uh, we shall uh, see you all next week uh, for another show. So uh, that's it for this week. That's Sonic Talk. And I'm going to press fade to black now. <laughs> <laughs>